Well, good morning. It's, um, it's great to be here this morning, to be with you, and to share from God's Word this morning. Um, a few weeks ago, when I was beginning to think about where we would go and what we would look at on this Sunday morning, I, I came across a, a verse that someone had shared on, on Facebook. People love to share um, funny quotations and interesting facts with friends, and um, Christians often like to put up verses um, on, on Facebook to encourage friends with. On seeing this verse, uh, which should appear, okay, on seeing that verse, um, I, I was intrigued, I was interested to see um, where that came from. Yes, it comes from John 16 and verse 33, and Jesus says in that that in this world we'll have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. That got me thinking about why Jesus said that and at what time and in what situation it was. And um, obviously I was drawn to John chapter 16 to see. Realizing that Jesus was encouraging the disciples about something, I, I went and dug a bit deeper and looked and realized that it was part of a bigger sermon, a bigger uh, discourse that Jesus was having with his disciples. And um, that got me looking at chapters 14, 15, and 16. So from one verse, we're up to three chapters. We could be here for a while, but um, I'm not going to keep us here all day. We're only going to look at a small section of it. Um, reading through this section from chapter 14, which you'll find in around a page 1,082 on the Blue Bibles and the pews there, I was struck that listening to this conversation that Jesus was having must have been amazing to be part of. To set the scene, Jesus and the disciples had gone to Jerusalem. They were, had just shared the Passover together. Judas had left Jesus. Judas was going to betray Jesus. But the, re, the remaining disciples seem initially quite confused about the things that Jesus is saying. Their confusion grows into anxiety as they hear about what is coming for Jesus. Jesus repeats over and over in this, this um, sermon, this discourse, that he's going to leave them. That wasn't really in the plan that the disciples had had. Jesus knew that he was coming to Jerusalem to, to, um, to have the Passover with his disciples, but Jesus knew he was going to die. Knowing this, Jesus wasn't consumed with his own thoughts. He wasn't consumed by um, the thoughts of going to the cross. But he was consumed and concerned that his disciples got to grips with what was coming. If you turn to chapter 14, you'll see at the beginning there that um, three times in the beginning, chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas questions Jesus. In verse 8, Philip questions Jesus. And then down into verse 22 of chapter 14, we see Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas, also has questions for Jesus. However, after those initial questions, there's a long section that Jesus is talking, and the disciples are silent. They're listening. They're hearing the words that Jesus is saying, but I'm sure they're not really taking it in. They're kind of stunned at the things that Jesus is talking to them about. Then in chapter 15, Jesus uh, continues uh, with a couple more 
And in things in this section, he's reminding the disciples that they have to be united to him like a branch is to a vine. Reminding them that while they're being united to him, they've also to love one another. If you look at chapter 15, verse 12, he says, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. And then in verse 17, again, he ends that verse by saying, love each other. Jesus is stressing these things to his disciples. All the while concerned that they don't really understand, they don't really grasp what is happening. Then into our chapter that we're going to focus on a little bit more this morning, Jesus again at the beginning of chapter 16 says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Jesus is stressing that he's going away and he doesn't want them to lose heart. Don't, and, but just before we, we dig into chapter 16, just uh, our verse that we have up here um, talks about Jesus saying, don't be troubled. I have overcome the world. He's saying, trust in me. And right at the beginning of chapter 14, he starts this, this discourse by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So it's like he bookends this whole conversation by saying to the disciples, trust me. Another thing that Jesus stresses here is to, uh, is the, the unity between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in our final section that we're going to look at now in a minute, um, Jesus really stresses that uh, the disciples are, understand the relationship between the three, the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's just read um, a little bit of this passage together. We'll start reading verses 5 to verse 11 of chapter 16. Jesus says, But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are, are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin because the people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So as you can see in these verses, Jesus is saying again that he's going away. Nine or ten times he says that in these verses. But did you catch what Jesus said in verse 7? Jesus says in verse 7, But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. If you have the ESV, the ESV translation of the Bible translates that, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage if I go away. If the disciples were confused before, surely they were even more confused now. How could it be to their advantage if Jesus goes away? They'd just spent the last three years traveling with Jesus, watching him, 
listening to all that he said, they were expecting him to establish God's kingdom. The disciples had ideas that that would, that would mean overthrowing the Romans, and they definitely wanted to be part of that. But he's now saying it would be good if he goes away. So it's no wonder later on in, in verse 29 when the disciples talk to Jesus and say, talk to us plainly, talk to us in plain words. It's too complicated what you're saying to us. But they don't get it. But Jesus goes on to help them to understand and gives us three reasons in our passage here now in the rest of this chapter. He gives us three reasons as to why it is better for him to go away. The first bit is in verses 8 to 11 of our little passage that we read a minute ago. When he, the advocate, or this person who's coming, when Jesus goes away, when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then within this, he gives us these three points. He explains why, what the, the counselor is going to do. So if we put up the next slide, it gives us our, our thought there. Our key verse is verse, uh, verse 7, or verse 8, sorry. No, that should say verse 7. <laughs> it is good for you that I am going away. So when he goes away, what does it mean for the world, for him to come into the world and to share with us about righteousness, sin, and judgment? In verse 9, it says that the world is wrong about sin. In Jesus' day, the world the disciples were in thought that Jesus was no more than a good teacher. But after Jesus goes away, many of them would have been convicted of their sin and believe that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God, realizing that they had crucified God's Son, the Messiah. Many of them, a few weeks later, believed in Jesus. We can read about that in Acts chapter 2 later on. So first of all, the, the, the Spirit will come and convict the world regarding sin. Secondly, in verse 10, he says that when he comes, he will convict, uh, he will prove the world to be wrong about righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. At Jesus' crucifixion, the world said that Jesus was wrong again. He was nothing. They said he could save himself. He could save others, but he cannot save himself. They crucified Jesus to get rid of the problem. But on the third day later, when Jesus rose again, Jesus was proved right. He rose and after a short time returned to heaven to be with his father where he is now. Only a righteous person could get into the presence of God. Jesus proved that the world was wrong about his righteousness. Then in verse 11, when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about, right, about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Thirdly, we see Jesus says that the world got it wrong about judgment. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, he showed that the prince of this world was beaten. Jesus also says something similar 
in John chapter 12 and verse 31. Um, John 12, 31. Now in this time, for now in this time for judgment on the world, now the prince of this world will be driven out. Jesus saying that he will conquer um, the prince of the world, the fallen, the, the Satan. So here, Jesus is telling the disciples that the Spirit will come and convict the world, showing clearly who he is and how he will fulfill God's requirements to rescue those who believe in him. This is why it's so important for things like this coming week with the youngsters where we tell young people about Jesus. So much good is done in their young lives as they hear about stories in Sunday school and summer clubs and in their home with their parents, sharing the stories of Jesus, showing the youngsters what God has done through his complete plan of salvation. We move on then to the next little section that Jesus um, talks to the disciples in verses 12 to 16, just on from where we were reading. I'll read verse 12. Have, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will, speak on his, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he has received what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So a few short weeks later after this situation, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples were given the Holy Spirit to come and help them. The Holy Spirit came and it helped the disciples to recall everything that Jesus had told them. Jesus hints at this again also, just a page further back. He says in chapter 14, verse 25, all that I have spoken while I was with you. Sorry, all this I have spoken while I was with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything. And this came to pass. The gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were reminded of all the things that Jesus said. So much so they were able to write it down. The writers of the books of Acts and Revelation were given insights into the future. While those who wrote the letters, the other books in the, Old, in the New Testament, uh, were led into all truth, helping them to pen the words of encouragement, correction, and rebuke for those who would read their letters. Yes, it would have been amazing to have been in that upper room and to walk in the garden with Jesus, when he spoke these words for the first time. It would have been an amazing sermon to have listened to, but Jesus says it would be better that he goes away. It's better that we have this word of truth inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down that we can read. It's so much better than being with Jesus is to have the whole revealed word of God written in words that we can understand we often struggle to understand each other, even when we all speak the same language. 
But it's even harder when we, we try to speak with people who come from different countries, who speak different languages. But most of us, if not all of us here, have God's Word in our own languages. Most of us can carry God's Word, the Bible, if not in our back pocket on a, on a small little Bible, but we can have it on our phones, in our own languages that we all understand. Jesus is saying it's better that he goes away. So the spirit of truth will come and give the disciples the insights into who Jesus is so it could be written down for all of us today to understand. Next, very briefly, Jesus goes away from talking about the three reasons that we're looking at, and he gives um, the disciples, he explains to them that in a little while they're going to experience real grief, and then after that they're going to have joy. We're not going to read verses 19 to 22, but that's what he's talking about in that section. And he gives an amazing example um, of how grief can turn to joy, how pain can turn to joy, when he gives the example of of giving birth to a child. Some here know that first, from first-hand experience as to what it's like, how that amazing transformation from pain into joy. Some of us don't and never will fully understand that, but I think it's a, a really real example um, of how we can, can go from, from pain to joy. It's something that Jesus shared with the disciples, saying to them, you may have excruciating pain now as you think about what's happening with me leaving. But that pain will very quickly turn to joy. Then Jesus goes on in verses 23 to 33, which we're going to look at really briefly. But first of all, um, we'll just read those verses together. Verse 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, in a, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kinds of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name, I am not saying that, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus', Jesus disciples said, You are now speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we see that you know all things that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each of you to your own homes. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So in this, our final section, we're going to look at just a couple of things briefly. Um, in chapter 14, again, just to skip back to that beginning part again, chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus also says, I will not leave you 
as orphans, I will come to you. So in these verses, the passage we read in that little verse back there, Jesus is saying that the Father, God the Father, will come to us too. Jesus says he's going away, but he will not leave you as orphans. And our key verse in this third section is verse 27, where he says, No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. So we've seen how the Holy Spirit is going to come into the world to convict the world. We've seen how the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate who Jesus was and help the disciples to write that down. And we see here how the Holy Spirit is going to help us to see the Father, God the Father, and how he loves us. Jesus helps us here as well in verse 32 when he says that the disciples are all going to scatter. They're going to desert him. But do you see what he says at the end of verse 32? I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Jesus is saying this will be the same for the disciples. Not straight away, but in a little while, they too, even though Jesus is gone, they too will have the Father with him, with them. So as we pause to think about verse 27, the fact that the Father loves you if we love Jesus. It's really amazing to note that uh, that that word in the Greek is one of four different words the Greeks had for for love. And this particular word is philia love, um, which talks about a brotherly or a fatherly kind of love. It's not other types of love. This is a real familial type of love. Love that a father has for a child. That's the kind of love that Jesus says God has for us. God the Father was fully in control of what was about to happen to Jesus in the coming hours. This was his plan because God loves us. Why does God love us? Does God love us because we deserve it? No. Does God love us because in some way we are attractive to him? No. Jesus says God loves us because he loves us. Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, the passage we read earlier in the service, don't need to look it up, but chapter 5 and verse um, 7 and 8, rarely... Will anyone die for a righteous person? Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much that he was willing to send his son, his one and only, to die for us. God loves us. In John John's letter, the first letter, John wrote later on in chapter 4, John writes these words. Um, 1 John chapter 4 verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loves us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
So John, writing later after Jesus had left, explains it like this. God loves us. God the Father loves each one of us. And one last reference is obvious one. The kids are going to be learning about it this week. John 3.16. For God so loved. Who? The world. God loves you. God loves all of us. So in the light of all of what we've been reading and all of what we're thinking, we come to the verse that was um, on social media that caught my attention. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Even if it's just if you're running a club for the week and the kids are cranky, we will have trouble in the world. There are obviously much bigger troubles in the world, but that could be quite big this week. Jesus says, take heart. Because why? Because I have overcome the world. So as we close... As we think about Jesus' conversation with his disciples, yes, it would have been amazing to be there. But we have the Holy Spirit who convicts the world that it's wrong about Jesus. It's given the disciples the truth and helped them to write it so that we can have what we have in God's word. And Jesus hints that it's better that he goes away so we can have the Spirit, so we can have access to this book. All we need to learn about God is in here. So if you want to be Bible-believing Christians, we often talk about that, don't we? We say, oh yes, we're Bible-believing Christians. We know God's Word. We want to get into God's Word. If you want to know God better, then we need to be more than just Bible-believing Christians. We need to be Bible-reading Christians. We need to be Bible-absorbing Christians that really get to grips with this book because in this book, we have all we need to know about who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Spirit is. God arranged his salvation plan from the beginning of time. Jesus agreed to commit to that plan the only righteous person who could die for us, the unrighteous. And the truth of all of this will be applied to us by the Holy Spirit. We believe in that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even today. And you can find out more about that, who God the Father is, who God the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is by digging into this book that we have as our Bibles. I encourage you to dig into these verses, these passages today, over this week. Maybe you'd have a chance to read through the whole of John 14 to 16. Or you could find out what the club are going to be looking at during the week, because they're looking at John's Gospel with the youngsters. Some of the stories from Jesus earlier on in the, in the book, so it would be good to Find out what they're doing. Talk to the kids if you know any of them, if they're in your house, if you know any of the kids that are coming to the club. Find out what they've been learning about from John's Gospel this coming week.
Just before we, we close our service with a, with a song, um, let's just bow our heads and pray for a few moments as we think about what we've been thinking about this morning. Lord God, we do thank you that the time when Jesus knew he was going to die, Lord, he was concerned that his disciples understood what was happening. Lord God, we thank you that this was all part of your plan, your salvation plan for each one of us. Lord, we thank you that you love us. You, the heavenly Father, the creator of heavens and earth, love each one of us just because you love us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus was willing to come and share with the disciples and teach them. We thank you that the Holy Spirit later on reminded them of all that you had you had taught them. Lord, we thank you that we have your word that we can read in our own languages, often in many different translations and with many aids to help us understand. But Lord, we thank you that we have your Holy Spirit in our lives that can help us to understand your word. And Lord God, we just thank you that you love us more than anything. Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that you would help us to consider that this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.